In 35 years from now, when like someone finds these Montreal Sauce podcasts in a virtual shelf in the Internet Archive, he or she will think that statement, we are live, has nothing to do with our broadcast status. <laughs> <laughs> in the post-singularity world, people will just assume we're declaring that we are flesh and blood and not sexy cyborgs. <laughs> <laughs> Food for thought. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to... Montreal's us. My name's Chris, and on this show, we like to talk to makers, creators, and people passionate about their work, life, and our fascinating digital world. I said we because I couldn't possibly do this without my friend and Hoovian Paul. Hello. <laughs> um, by the way, if you're listening to this as a recording, uh, thanks. <laughs> and just as a reminder, we are live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, you just go to montrealsauce.com slash live or a sneaky trick you can do is go to filmfrown.com slash live and you'll get the same feed. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's like they share the same uh, streaming server. I know. Two podcasts uh, produced by the same guys. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and you can join uh, the chat room on that page or find us on Freenode IRC channel. Um the channel is Montreal Sauce, all one word. It's probably kind of empty today. Oh, no, there's Jacob. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, these intros are getting shorter, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry if uh, the time is inconvenient and you can't join us live. Um, it's not our fault. Take that up with our wives. Boom. Um, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's uh she just left to go out of town to speak somewhere, so I'm in I'm okay. She won't listen. It's okay, uh, yeah, they don't listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh hey, keeping with tradition, I always like to let the guests introduce themselves because they can do a much better job than I can. Um tonight we're fortunate enough to have with us Alan Henry from Lifehacker. Hi Alan. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. That wasn't in my uh, script that I wrote. The question, how's it going? I didn't know how to answer that. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. I didn't give you privileges to my Evernote document. Sorry. Um, so uh, first of all, I guess, uh, yeah, you should introduce yourself. Tell our listeners why you get up in the morning. Oh, boy. I get up in the morning because I have bills to pay. And if I don't get up in the morning, those bills don't get paid. And then I will be getting up in the morning on the side of a highway. And that would just be terrible for all concerned. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm Alan Henry. I am um, deputy editor at Lifehacker.com. Um, I talk a lot on the internet. And for some reason, they pay me for it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot more fun than what I used to do for a living. So I'm going to cling to this with every scrappy fiber of my being for as long as they allow me to continue. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What, uh, what did you do in your previous life? Oh boy. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the tale begins. Uh, so I used to, I, I, when I tell people that I'm a recovering physicist, I actually mean it. I, um, I, I went to undergrad school for physics and astronomy and I graduated with those two degrees and I was very accomplished with myself. I felt very good about what I did. And as soon as I put on a lab coat and started working in a lab, I said, man, this is awful. This is just <laughs> the worst. And I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I started building with computers and I, I was working in our university computer lab for a long time. And, and then they offered me a job, which was really scary because I had this old, old uh, power PC Macintosh back in the day. And, 
And I used to take it down to them because I didn't know what to do with it. I couldn't fix it and it was busted like all the time. And they said, oh, you know, you seem to have an aptitude for this. Why don't you, why don't you uh, come work for us? And I said, how could I work for you? I come to you for help. And, <laughs> and then it all started and, you know, they said, don't worry about that. We will train you. And um, like any good sysadmin, they sat me down with some really ancient DOS uh, training guides and some man pages on our, on our uh, Unix servers at the University of Maryland down here. And, and I did a lot of reading and eventually they started paying me to fix other people's problems. It kind of went from there. I went to grad school and I decided to get into business and then I did technical project management for a while. And <laughs> that was another turn. But I mean, the whole time I'm really just working with technology and finding ways to work with technology so I could keep working with technology and get paid more. Um, but and then eventually I just I, I said, you know what, I have lots of opinions about technology stuff. So I'm going to start one of these fancy blog things and write about it on my own. I did that and Eventually, some people started saying, hey, you commenter on our on our blogs who keeps, you know, signing your comments with, uh, <laughs> with the, the, the link to your site. You seem to know things. Can we pay you to know things for us? I said, well, absolutely. And the rest is history. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, astrophysicist, did you – was it just like one of those things where everything is sort of like broken down into such small tasks that you weren't sort of like <laughs> discovering like things and such? <laughs> that was a – you know, that, that was a big problem um, with – one thing that I learned when I – when I was an undergrad was, you know, I learned all these, this, these things that other people did, all these, uh, these accomplishments in the labs they worked in and the equations that they worked on and the, the problems that they solved. And it was great. And I had a lot of great professors who were really active in research and, and, um, and uh, theoretical uh, physics and, and, and astronomy. And it was great. And I was talking to them and I was learning about what they did. And then I realized that the path for me to get from where I was to get to where they were kind of explained why so many of them were very, very old. <laughs> and th essentially, I would be, you know, a junior, uh, a junior researcher in someone's lab. And I would uh, do whatever they needed me to do. And slowly over the course of presumably eight to 10 years, you know, as a grad student, then as a postdoc, and then on and on, I would uh, be competing with everyone else for where my name was placed in that big list of authors on scientific papers, you see. You know, there will be some long, ridiculous title for the paper. And then there's like 12 people who wrote it. <laughs> right. And the, the person at the front is the one in charge. You know, they're the lab manager or the person who the, – the founding person who's responsible for the research. They get to hold it up to their name. And then the person number 12 on that list is probably the postdoc who worked in their lab who did a lot of the heavy lifting. But they got to work their way up from 12 to 1 <laughs> before anybody <laughs> takes them seriously. So I said, ah, you know, I could probably find some other kind of more interesting way to spend my time. So there was that. <laughs> there was that. And I didn't really feel like I was going to get the opportunity right away to, to work on some interesting things. I mean, you know, when you're a scrub out of school, you work on whatever somebody will give you to work on. And um, when I had the choice between doing that and working with technology, I said, I'll just go work on technology. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was more fun anyway. I got to tinker with things. <laughs> one of our uh, friends in the chat room said uh jacob says his impression was that that kind of thing was settled by octagon style fights <laughs> so <laughs> if, if it were i would have stood much better chance <laughs> that would have been awesome yes oh some of those guys are really frail let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> 
But they've studied all of Spock's moves from the original, you know, fights with Kirk and the foam sword. So this is true. <laughs> if it's an octagon with chalkboards on the side, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, um, you know, uh, we you, you you make a good point. Like we we often hear about sort of the darlings in those fields, and we don't hear about the people just doing the work. Um, but you know. Certainly, I in hero status, I would I would place your project manager's part probably higher, just because I have the utmost respect for project managers because they <laughs> deal with the clients, so I could get work done. <laughs> ah, you've you've had the, you've had the 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 opportunity to work with good project managers. Then yes, yes. <laughs> that is what a, that is what a good project manager should be doing. They should be they should be dealing with the people who are saying how much longer and can I add this or how much time would it take for them to do this too. And they should be responding to those people with no and look at my project plan and you'll know how long it takes. You know, stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, that was uh, that, I did that for about five years or so. I was a technical project manager and that you're exactly right. That's exactly what the job consists of. I mean, knowing just enough to be able to not speak for an engineer, but to be able to not bother them when, when a client has questions. But also being able to like kind of put the whole picture together and show it to people who have absolutely no idea yeah, <laughs> what everyone yeah. else is doing and yeah. say, you know, hey, here's here's what this is going to take. And and I'm going to I'm going to tell it to you in terms you understand, but also with enough gravity that you understand that it takes money and time and energy and you can't just have it tomorrow, you know. Yeah, you're more or less the official guard of that of that specialist's time. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But at the same time, like you said, you have to have that big picture. Like, I need to know what when I can say no on his behalf, but also to keep the client informed of what's going on, what's our progress, make sure that they feel like you know they're being serviced adequately. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. Uh, it seemed like at, at the time like a thankless job, and then other days I was like, "Wait, maybe I want that job instead of doing the work." <laughs> nope, you can't do it. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Some days were like that. Those were the good days. Those were yeah, right. those were the days everything's in order, and I could somebody would call me, and I could I could say, "Well, I did send out a project update just you know yesterday. Should be in your inbox." and you know, if you have any questions, you could read it and get back to me. <laughs> but <laughs> those were the good days. the The bad days were the um, the bad days were the crunch days where you know where everything's towards the end of the project, and you know people are missing deadlines, or somebody's been out sick, or you know something didn't get done, and now everybody has to pull strings and have long, boring conference calls to sort out how long <laughs> things are really going to take. Oh, the conference calls—they were the the absolute worst part of the job. Was you know, the, I could I could solve all of this via email, but the level at which some of you people operate means we're going to be on the phone at five in the morning just to talk this through. Yes, it's it's very true. And then you <laughs> get the, you know, like again, another good quality of a project manager is being able to like take everything and put it in perspective because <laughs> you get those like panicked client calls like, oh my god, we're you know we're at this conference and we need this and it's not working, and you're just like. Okay, take a deep breath. Like you, I hated those like project managers would then come into my room and screaming like, "Oh my god, it's not working!" And they're there. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the worst. <laughs> yeah, right. Because now everyone's in a state of panic, including me, because they're all like, "What's going on?" Yep. 
It's yes. not working. Well, did you find out what it was? <laughs> exactly. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> yes. Oh then you're like in the worst game of telephone because you're like, did they try turning it on and off again? And then <laughs> your project manager has to be like, did they try turning it on? <laughs> <laughs> it's just this horrible like, yeah. 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 That was whew, five years of that. <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah. times. Good times. So how much do you draw on that uh, that experience and the prior experience, the, you know, being a reformed physicist uh, <laughs> or recovering physicist, I should say, uh, in your, you know, writing about productivity and at uh, Lifehacker? Uh, most of the most of the productivity articles and most of the uh, kind of our office GPS tag, uh, I like to refer to it as. It's, <laughs> um, I draw on a lot of the experiences I had when I was a project manager uh, because of the team at Lifehacker, there there are a lot of us. I mean, more now than there have ever been, but I'm still one of the few people who's actually kind of worked an office job for a long period of time where I had to deal with things like office politics. And mm-hmm. this VP wants this right now, so we have to drop everything and go do it, even if it's if it sucks or it's stupid. We have to do it anyway because <laughs> they have power. And right. I, I've, I've had to deal with those kinds of things. So I, I, get, I get to write a lot about those things for people who – either are in the same boat and have their own experience or ideally for the people who may be coming out of college or going into college and starting their careers or changing careers and have no idea uh, what to do themselves. So that plays a lot into that. A a, a lot of my science uh, kind of background plays into some of our other types of articles, our health articles, our wellness articles and fitness and things like that, where you kind of need some of a some kind of scientific mindset in order to determine what is worth talking about and what is absolutely nonsensical or what's kind of Dr. <laughs> Oz style, uh, you know, health stuff like, yeah, oh, we eat this thing for better health. Okay, we can't, you can't say those kinds of things. Okay. I mean, you, you know, you can, or you could just be wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> the goal is to be as wrong as infrequently as possible. So uh, that's, I, I when I when I started writing our science guidelines, which um, we had posted on kind of our shop talk sub blog, where we it's just the editors talking about kind of life hackery internal challenges that we like to talk to the community about too. Um, I, I started writing that probably several, three or four months ago, and uh, or three or four months before it went up rather, and. I was plowing through it and then I realized, man, this thing's really, really long. These are really long science guidelines. I sent it over to uh, Whitson Gordon, our editor-in-chief, and he said, this is great. Run with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I I feel like I may have overcomplicated this a little bit. I mean, you know know my background. I may be nitpicking at some of these things. He said, nope, run with it. This is good. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) This is wonderful. So uh, our guidelines are pretty – pretty intense, but on the bright side, I like to think that it brings some of that kind of scientific thinking to all of the things that we, we write about that whether or not they're, you know, food hacks or their, you know, actual health articles that they kind of present it in a way that is evidence-based. So people reading them will say, okay, I can, I can understand this. And I have some faith that the people really behind these stories either tried them themselves or, are expressing this tip in good faith as opposed to some method that gets them famous or makes them money or something like that. Yeah, I didn't uh, really know about uh, those particular guidelines until I read your uh, recent post on the week when you guys were sharing like how you work. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
that's that's well, the how I work series is great, but in, it, the the best part is that I have no idea how so many of the rest of us work because we're all spread out around the country. Every year, it's learning something new about people that I've worked with for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that series in general. Like when you get other people to do it too, I'm always like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, we we get a little we get a little blowback to, uh, now and again. You know, there are a lot of lot of CEOs and a lot of people who use iPhones, uh, which you know that's their prerogative. But when you run into like a string of eight CEOs who all have iPhones and MacBook Airs, you kind of start wondering what is with everyone? <laughs> why, why are you all using the same stuff? But uh, yeah, it's a great series. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I got really jealous as I was uh, looking over that before uh, we did the show again because. I had set it aside like, oh, I want to read this. And then um, I, of course, never got to that. And so I was like, oh, I should at least read Alan's before I do the show. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, oh, come on. Like looking at like your new monitors, I was like so jealous because because uh, I'm in Canada and like technology here. We have like the wagon wheel and the telephone oh. right now. So. <laughs> It's, it's it's not that bad. What's bad is like um, the trade agreement between the U.S. and Canada is like ridiculous. And Canada like actually stands by like their statements when they're like, hey, you can't bring that into the country. Right. Like, oh, that's so. Rough. So like it, I, I'm assuming if I could even find like I couldn't probably get monoprice uh, monitors here. But if I could, you know, find like, well, actually, um one of my, the people I work for right now, um, I said, oh, I need a new monitor because my old man eyes are getting to me. And he said, here, <laughs> buy this uh, Samsung monitor from uh, Office Max. It's 150 bucks." And I was like, oh, yeah, hold on a second. And so I went to the Canadian version of the website and I said, no, it's $313. Oh, <laughs> and that's oh. before shipping, right? Like, Oh, no. <laughs> It it's just Canada I've learned just like since I've moved here from Michigan is such a massive country, um, just like the US, except it has like the population of New York. So <laughs> So it's not like we have like a shipping uh, you know, hub every like city. Yeah. Because there isn't every city out here. There's just lots of <laughs> moose. <laughs> I actually okay. have family in Canada, so I um, I don't get to visit them very often. Uh, they live out in uh, in Nova Scotia, but uh, they they have also very frequently complained that you know getting anything that the that quote unquote everyone back in the states is talking about is um, either outright impossible because the vendor just either isn't doesn't exist or can't ship across the border or will ship but it costs a ridiculous amount of money to ship or they just choose not to do business in Canada which is just awful i mean i think monoprice is one of those um ncix is pretty cool as far as i know but i i don't think they get you around the price inflation problem yeah, it, it's it was like mind boggling to me because, you know, I lived off of Amazon in Michigan and then I yeah. got here and it's like, oh, I'll just buy that from Amazon. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I did a post on it a long time ago because I was like, OK, watch this. And I just like uh, searched on Amazon like, oh, I want a bicycle pump. And like, you know, Amazon dot com was like. Oh, yeah. Here's like 17,000 different bicycle pumps you can get. And then I went to Amazon.ca and did the same search. And they're like, here's 622. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is kind of sketchy. Mm -hmm. Again, 
Jacob is our actual only person in Montreal. I'm in Edmonton, um, and he is uh, a friend of the show. Uh, and he's in the chat room and he is now adding to my joke. He just said that they just got running water in Montreal a few days ago. So, Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last few times that it was tried, the plumber got burned at the stake, he said. So <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that with all the corruption they have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Canada. Yay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Nova Scotia. That's really far away from here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really far away from like everything. Everywhere, yes. <laughs> I mean, I remember going, going to visit my family when I did visit them more often. I think, wow, it's been ages since I've been up there. And that's part, partially because it's so far away. Uh, we used to drive and I mean, you just book two straight days just to drive and you'd, you know, stop in Connecticut or Rhode Island or someplace and stay the night. And I remember even as a kid when I would go up there, you know, we'd cross the border um, into New Brunswick and I'd be so pumped in the back of the car. I'm like, yeah, I'm in Canada. I'm going to be visit talking to my family really soon. The trip is almost over. And then you realize exactly how far <laughs> you still have to go. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have to go all the way north through New Brunswick and then back south down to um, essentially Halifax. And I mean, that's we got up really early that morning and we crossed the border in like two or three hours. And then then you got another six or eight on the road and it's you and lots of really admittedly pretty but desolate pine trees. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much it. My my drive here the first time was just a terrible mess because because uh, I'm an obnoxious American and so <laughs> I was like <laughs> it took me three and a half days but it was so hilarious because um, at one point you know I the joke when you live in Michigan is like if you have to go south you have to go through Ohio and typically that means you have to go down and then across it and it, oh my goodness you're in Ohio for so long yep <laughs> but. I was in Ohio the entire three and a half days. So there was like nothing like once I crossed the border. <laughs> there was, wow. Like I would pass a gas station and I uh, told my uh, wife, I was like, I just stopped at every gas station at some point because I actually got frightened that I wouldn't see one and then run out of gas. <laughs> like, oh, I have three quarters tank. I'm stopping. I'm going to stop right now. <laughs> The the best part was um, I drove for probably ten hours one day because I was like you know I'm it's good I'm driving it's good and I ended up um, what happened was I ended up in uh, Saskatchewan and uh, Saskatoon was like oh no I think it was Regina I ended up in Regina. And they were having like the Canadian Country Music Awards. So there was like zero hotels. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, I'm feeling okay. I'll just keep driving to the next town. So I put in my GPS and I was like, you know, just find me like a hotel somewhere nearby, which was nowhere, of course. And uh, <laughs> I was like, it's okay. I'm driving. It's good. And so I, I'm driving along. And, uh, and then finally some names come up and I'm like, okay, I recognize like I've stayed at a Radisson before. This is good. So I click that on the GPS and then I head there and I turned down uh, everything like off the highway out 
here in the West is just like a range road. Like, you know, I told people like I wanted to do more like roadside attractions, but they would be like a sign on a range road off of the highway, which is just two lanes. And it would say, it would say like, oh yeah, go, go see like this car museum. And it's like 120 kilometers that way. I'm like, "Uh what? No, that's a little bit off the trail. (laughs) So I get on a little bit. Yeah, so I get on this dirt road, and uh, I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And I'm driving, and it's like, you're really close. I'm like, no, I'm really not close to anything. And then I I see this bar, and uh, the top floor is the Radisson Hotel because I'm in the town of Radisson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and like the building was like so old that it was sort of like leaning over the dirt road <laughs> and i was like this looks totally sketchy to me i'm oh, gonna turn oh. around go back to the highway because i saw like a like one of those like roadside motels uh and then i got <laughs> unfortunately when i got there i had this great funny story about the radisson and then when i got to there he was like oh i don't have any more rooms and i was like oh no and he's like well I have a couple of double rooms, but, you know, not a single. Sorry. I'm like, no, I've been driving for 10 hours. It's cool. I'll take a double. <laughs> and this little, he was this great little Vietnamese man. He's like, oh, no, I, I couldn't do that to you. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'll pay whatever. And he's like, oh, no, like a double is like $95. And I was like, that's okay. Really, I would like to sleep. <laughs> and, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and charge you the single rate of 65 and you can just stay in the double. And I was like, sir, you don't have to do that. That's very kind. And he leaves to get the key to the room because I'm staying in a motel. So they have keys on like a big wooden paddle, not like (laughs) digital locks. (laughs) And I actually signed like a register. Right. Uh, So, so he comes back and he's like, Oh, I forgot. I, I do have this one single room. You're lucked out. And I was like, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> like at this point I'm like so skeptical when driving. I'm like, he knew he had that single room all the time. That's the haunted one. No, no. <laughs> but it was fine. It was fine. I slept. It was good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's my Canadian road trip story. Yay. <laughs> so yeah, I can imagine that it felt like a long time when you were younger as well. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the bright side, man, I didn't have to drive. I don't think it was 10 hours in any direction, but <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. I haven't, even, I haven't even seen any of those old, old motels in a long, long time. I mean, no, granted, I mean, everywhere I pretty much goes up and down the eastern seaboard here. So if, if, it, if there is any place like that, then you generally wouldn't want to be there anyway. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, those, those days you had to sign a physical register and your key is like on a big old log because that would keep you from stealing it for some reason. <laughs> Just makes it slightly less convenient to get around. But that's, that's impressive. Yeah, but I had free internet, so I was able to call the wife and be like, hey, I'm alive. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) I sat at my folding chair in my room and (laughs) she was like, oh, this place sounds scary. I'm like, hey, it's a bed. I'm going to bed. It's good. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, it's really quite interesting because I've always been on the east side of the state. So now that I'm sort of in the Western area of Canada, I can imagine it's probably 
a little similar to some of the Western U.S., um, at least like North Dakota and places I drove through. But uh, <laughs> it's it's very um, like people here are just like, oh, yeah, it'll take us three hours to get there. And I, I feel like people back home be like, whoa, you did drive three hours to do something and then drive back that same day. No way. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Here yeah. people think nothing of it because the next big city is like three to four hours away. So they're like, oh, you want to go skiing? Let's get in the car. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I can't believe that. I mean, oh, I believe no. it, obviously. Because but... you're the big city guy and you just got rid of your car, right? Uh, not necessarily by choice. But yeah, I, I, I've been lucky enough to never have – never live anywhere where um, – you know, it was something like that where I had to drive three hours to go from place to place. I mean, I have friends who've lived in like Colorado and, and, you know, they'll say, hey, we're going to go, let's go out to eat. We're going to drive an hour to get to this place that's kind of okay. We can drive another hour and get to the place that's really good if you want to. And that's just crazy for me. <laughs> I mean, granted, I live I live in Washington D.C. I live downtown, so I mean, for as much as there's a downtown D.C. as it as it were, <laughs> but right. but I mean, I am used to at least when I lived in the suburbs to say, oh, forty five minutes to get from place to place. Okay, that's doable. That's long, but doable. I don't think anybody who lives on the East Coast or has lived here for any particularly long period of time would really. Uh, who, I think I don't think they have a I don't think they'd have an easy time adjusting to that <laughs> where you have to get in the car in the morning to get to like the day trip is like I'm going grocery shopping or something like that right you get in the car in the morning to be back by evening that 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 just blows me away but yeah I did just get rid of my car I I didn't I I loved that car <laughs> uh, everything just kind of came to a head around the, the same time. It was, uh, you know, DC uh, inspection was coming up at the end of February and I was having, you know, check engine light problem and I took it to uh, probably one of the few honest mechanics that I could find <laughs> and, and they looked it over and they kept it for about two weeks, which is fine with me because, you know, writing for Lifehacker means I get to work from home, which is nice, but it also means I'm kind of caged in these four walls a lot. But they, they they eventually they did some work and I came to pick it up and light came back on. I took it back to them. I, they did some more work. I picked it up. Light came back on. I took it back to them and they said, OK, well, look, I, I think the thing that's going to work here, the thing that's going to keep that light off is uh, this is an old uh, an 03 Nissan Altima. And this thing about Nissans, it makes them great. The, they have a timing chain instead of a timing belt, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So, you know, the timing belt would have to be replaced every 60,000 plus miles. And timing chain is pretty much the life of the vehicle. And and that kind of proved itself out this time. <laughs> I mean, they said, hey, we're, we'd have to replace the timing chain. And there's some other stuff in there that we'd have to address at the same time. And you're looking at probably, you know, close to two plus thousand dollars to get this done. And then I also needed four new tires because I drive like a maniac, apparently. <laughs> and they then bump that up another, you know, 500 to a grand and we're looking at close to $3,000 just to get the car roadworthy for the inspection that's coming up in like two yeah. weeks. Yeah. So, uh, so I parted with my, my beloved vehicle and, and I'm a car share member now and I'm doing things like Zipcar and Car2Go, which are convenient if you live in the city, but you know if I want to visit my dad who lives like an hour and a half away, that's it's. <laughs> you have to go rent a car, like mm. 
the old school style rent a car where they they'd sell you on insurance beforehand and they say, well, I know you I know you rented an economy sedan, but all we have are giant SUVs. We may have to charge <laughs> you an extra fee, you know, things like that that right. nobody likes dealing with. And don't forget to fill it back up oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That before too. you turn it back in. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, oh, yeah, gas is $8 a gallon if you don't <laughs> right. fill it back up. <laughs> oh, right. right. We charge by the barrel. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I didn't know like the, those car service, sharing services had a range on them. That's interesting. Well, it's not so much range, although there is. And most of them were – they'll give you about 200 miles a day. Um which is great. I mean, 200 miles is a really long way, and it's more than enough for me to visit my dad. I mean, he's only about 100 or so miles away. Mm-hmm. But the time is the issue because they, oh. they you know, they, they give you that you reserve these cars for blocks of hours, and right. you can reserve overnight. But if I want to go visit him for a weekend or a, a Friday to Sunday or Saturday to Sunday, then, you know, they, you start paying really, really exorbitant fees just to keep the car not in its designated spot for more than 24 hours. Yeah, I often see them when uh, I go to Vancouver and Edmonton. They just started a somebody just started a pilot program with their own car sharing services. So I'm kind of interested in it because this is a, a big sprawling type city. So there are places I would like to go that I can't just walk to. And I'm finding public transportation not to be as glorious as I had once hoped it to be. So <laughs> yeah, the, 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 oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, of course, that totally depends on your area. I did a lot of work in public transportation when I lived uh, in Grand Rapids, uh, where Paul lives. And uh, it's just like there it was like hard to try to get people to understand that public transportation is good and you should use it. And yeah, like yeah. people in Chicago just take it for granted, right? Because yeah. they have a great system. And so and then when you're in a place that doesn't have a great system, people are like, uh, why would I do that? <laughs> right. No, it's true. I mean, we i i love the I love the public transit system in D.C. I mean, it has its issues, obviously, but I think that's true for any city. But uh, yeah, you'd be surprised how many people drive around here. I mean, myself, I I didn't really use my car that much when I had it. Uh, my big problem, beyond obviously the repair costs, is that I'm essentially paying two hundred dollars a month just for a little gravel patch of ground to park it on when I'm not driving it. Yeah, and, I mean, that was just the worst. But um, but yeah, I mean, the metro's great and the buses are great and I mean there's another they had started a few years before uh, I moved downtown they'd started a circulator bus they called it and uh, essentially it's a buck and it just drives in a circle around some of the the big uh, spots in, in town there are a couple different lines that go to different places but the whole route is just a dollar part of it's for the tourists right so they can come down in the summer and they get an air-conditioned bus and go from the white house to the washington monument to you know the restaurants on 8th street or something for a dollar which is great but i mean it's it's still a dollar for those of us who live here too so the fact that more people don't take it just kind of blows my mind i mean it's (laughs) cheaper than the subway it's cheaper than the subway and there's nobody on these buses which is the crazy thing you figure it's a gold mine but you know then again, they. I'm sure it's. I'm sure people will start using it eventually. Yeah, we have a LRT here, but it's only you know one direction. Like they have plans to build it out and make other lines to go other directions. But what's <laughs> what's, what's great about the LRT in Edmonton because I'm in Canada, the LRT <laughs> goes from downtown to the hockey arena. So. Oh. <laughs> 
Like, and it, I mean, it covers a fair amount of distance and there's a bunch of stops. So in neighborhoods, so it is a good idea for people who work downtown to hop on. But, uh, my father-in-law, um, the accountant that he is, he's always hilariously reminding us like the, I think the current price of the LRT is like 650 or something like that. So, you know, if you wanted to go to the hockey game and watch the Oilers lose this year, um, you, <laughs> you'd be paying like $13 just yourself to go to the game. And now if you and a friend are going, you're paying, you know, $26 oh. and parking at the arena is like $8. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. oh man, that doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, way to disincentivize public transit. Yeah. Like, yep. uh, I guess we are big oil here. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe if they grease that thing up every day with oil, it would be cheaper. Well, It'd be mean, cheaper. They are the oilers. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Please bring some to get here. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll lose. Oh. Yeah. So my, I've just I've been here for almost three years now, four years, three, three. And so uh, I just started like, OK, I'm going to start trying the bus because I was walking everywhere because I can use the exercise for sure. <laughs> but um, now that I'm working more, I'm like, I don't have the time to take a 40 minute walk to get to there. So I'm going to go ahead and take the bus. And uh, <laughs> and I'm still finding like. Um, so the next bus goes here and then it connects over there. And then to get here, I'm going to have to wait 20 minutes at that bus stop. And okay, if I just walk, it's 40 minutes. <laughs> like I'm still no. <laughs> like I can get there the same time if I walk or if I take the bus. And I was like, well, I mean, let's be healthy, Chris. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> and it's, it's all brave and smart until like I realized like 10 minutes later that it's like negative three Celsius and I'm an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> so you you said you're are you from the DC Baltimore area then? Well, I, I I moved around a lot. I mean, I was a I was a military brat when I was a kid, so oh. I was I was born in Hawaii of all places, and <laughs> I, you know, not that I remember very much from it. It was it was warm. I I vaguely have an affinity for things like poi and poke, but <laughs> I mean, I think. I think that that's mostly just because that I like I like sushi. I like raw fish, so poke is kind of up my alley, no matter what. But I lived in Germany for about three years, and lived in Georgia for five years, and lived in the D.C. area for oh boy, wow! Now I'm doing math <laughs> since like 1990, which is seems like an interminable amount of time to live in one place. But uh, yeah, so roughly, I guess I should just say I am from this area, even though it doesn't really feel like that. It's a it's a good story, but we're probably going to have to see your birth certificate, Mister Hawaii. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was bad. Lucky, no, no, lucky for me, I keep mine around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to release that information anytime someone wants it. <laughs> Germany, that's uh, that's a place that I know a couple people who like want to move there. Interesting. Oh, it was great. It was yeah. great. I, we lived in Darmstadt for a year and then Frankfurt for two years. And I mean, I have very fond memories of learning German and then forgetting all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if you still knew any. Oh, no, sadly. I, I mean, I was I was six to nine ish. Sure. I think. Was, yeah. So, I mean, I when I was there, 
I was I I spoke German all the time. I mean, you know, we didn't live on a base or anything. We lived in the community with everyone else, and yeah. you know, we would take the bus to the corner store or whatever. And you know, my my mother would always remind me before I got off the bus to th- say to say thank you to the bus driver in German, and you know, say hello in German. And mm-hmm. I was I did really really well. And then as soon as I moved back to the states, it was just all right out of my head. <laughs> it's, it's awful because I would love to. I'd love to say that I I knew German. I mean, I, I'm sure I could pick it up again. But I think like any language you study um, or you use at that age, you either you just have to keep using it or else it's just going to go away. Yeah, yeah. It's probably one of those things where it's like it's encoded somewhere deep in the in your uh, in your memory mm-hmm. somewhere. But if you you'd probably have to really exercise that for a good six months to a year to feel like you're really speaking it again. Yeah, exactly. So um, you're, um, for the most part, uh, does your work at Lifehacker primarily just happen from home? You're just working out of, you're working out of home or do you try to get out and go to coffee shops or do you have an office maybe that you maintain somewhere? Oh, uh, <laughs> give away a little bit of my secrets here. Ah. Um, and not really secrets. It's just kind of sad, sad truths. <laughs> it's okay. I, you know, only my mom is listening. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, no, it's just for uh, – here's the dirty secret about all of us at Lifehacker. We uh, we all write so many of our articles from this position of physician heal thyself that it, yeah. you would never know it. Um, people people tell me all the time, like, oh, you need – I said something on Twitter months ago about, you know, does anybody actually use a professional – organizer or has anybody actually, you know, have any real experience with house cleaning services and things like that. And somebody replied and said, wait, you work for Lifehacker. How would you need an organizer's help? (laughs) I said, oh boy, you have no idea. Uh, And then I subsequently wrote an article about what professional organizers do and, you know, that they're not really just a, you know, HGTV gag, but they're real people (laughs) who do real things that are very helpful if you you investigate them, which is, which is great. But no, and for as much as we talk about things like working from coffee shops and, and working from libraries and, you know, playing, I think we called it, um, workspace popcorn, you know, that gives you a new, yeah. New, yeah, something, new perspective every day. I have a coffee shop. It's a fantastic coffee shop with free Wi-Fi and, and they make great coffee and they make great sandwiches and they're probably about 300 feet south from my apartment. <laughs> and I don't remember the last time I was inside. <laughs> That's how bad it is. Once you get stuck in a routine, I just it's hard to break out of it. I do most of my work from my workspace, you know, here in my apartment that's, you know, maybe 10 feet from the bed, mm-hmm. which is, you know, absolutely terrible on those days when I don't have too much to write. But but I I would love to get out and work in different locations, but every time I say I'm going to do it, it's really really difficult because you just you just flop down in your chair and everything's the way you left it, and you just get to work. So it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, and you do have that beautiful setup, you know, yeah. the, the amazing screens and all of that stuff. <laughs> all your equipment is there, all your gadgets are there, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, that is that- true. I mean. Some every now and again, I, I we uh, we congregate the life hacker staff, or at least a few of us, up in um, the Gawker Gawker HQ in New York City. That's probably about once a year we get to go up there. So I, it's not like I'm unfamiliar with unplugging and traveling someplace else to work, but it's just so much more comfortable here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so 
It's so difficult. Like I've been trying it out a couple of times to here and just to get out of my own little personal workspace. But mm-hmm. like uh, just looking at, again, like your your post from before, like I can't imagine how you must feel because I'm living in a world of two monitors. And when I go down to one monitor, I'm like half as productive, I swear. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's something yep. about like a mobile device, like a tablet or a phone where you're like, I have to hold this in my hand. Yeah, I'm not going to. It's fine. Whatever. But mm-hmm. but but when you go to like a, sit down at a computer and you're missing that second screen, you're like, well, this is completely wrong. Where's that window? I need? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's gotten worse the bigger my my monitors have gotten. <laughs> Because I, I, you know, I had way back when I, I had two 24 inch monitors on my desk and that was great. And I would, you know, work with both of them all the time. And then eventually I got the 30 inch and then to these two 27s on mm-hmm. the sides, which is wonderful. But then when I have to travel and I have my 15 inch MacBook Pro and I just start opening the same things that I normally open to work. And people are saying things to me like, hey, did you get my email? Or, hey, are you on IM? And I'm like, of course I'm on IM. I'm always on IM. Oh, your window's buried down. Why is this not blinking? Right. I, oh, <laughs> yeah. sounds off. I don't, okay. <laughs> oh, you're down here somewhere. Wow, my the, the onboard graphics is really struggling right now. It's just, it's it's awful. Yeah, I definitely, I, I never could get into, on the MacBook, I never could get into, like, the spaces thing or the workspace thing at all. I don't know why. Me but, either. Me either. But oh, I always I figured that. That, that that would be, like, a resource hog of some kind. So I was like, I'll just not learn that. <laughs> oh, no, I use that all the time. <laughs> I bet you But did. I used to use that. I used to use that on Linux a lot um, yeah. when I was using um, Unix and Linux more frequently. So when that finally came to OS 10, I was uh, I was all over it. Nice. It's yeah. one of those features. It's one of those features. You know, virtual desktops is great. <clears throat> I mean, in theory, I, I just I I've never really I always wanted to, and the only times I ever switch. Uh, virtual desktops is if I accidentally, you know, use the wrong key command for something <laughs> and all of my windows are gone and I'm like, what did I just do? Where is it? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. the most terrifying feeling ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but after that, it, after I figure it out, I'm kind of like, man, one of these days I really need to start using this because it just seems so obviously useful. It just never fell into my routine. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I primarily use it to, uh, group tasks together basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which I'm sure is something that you've, you know, read and, and you're familiar with. But just the idea of, okay, I'm working on this project in this particular space. I've got my email and all my chat windows open on this particular space, and I can jump between those things. And and then I find the chat is, uh, you know, it's available, but it's not a distraction when I'm deep into programming or whatever it is I'm I'm trying to work on that at that moment. Yeah. I so, just, uh, oh, go ahead. So, no, we're, we're talking to uh, Alan Henry. So I guess the big question would have to be like, what headphones are you using right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I actually deliberated over this before the show because I have a ton of headphones. I don't know when this headphone addiction started. I blame Whitson. Uh, <laughs> I'm using the um, the blue MoFi uh amplified headphones mostly because i like to use them in combination with the the blue yeti microphone Mm. um and 
they're, I mean, they're great headphones. They're, I, I like to tell people they're kind of like what headphones would be like if somebody decided to give them like digigrade ears and make the make somebody wanted to make heavy steampunk headphones that were actually kind <laughs> of steampunky and not just had a bunch of cogs on them. Um, <laughs> like, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I love steampunk as a theme, but I mean, there's a lot of steam. We, I think everybody at this point can agree there's a lot of steampunk that's just like I'm going to put a gear on it and call it steampunk, and you're going to pay money for this. <laughs> but uh, but they're great headphones. They sound wonderful. Uh, they're very very heavy. That's the thing. Uh, they they do have this kind of backward uh, bending angle at the ears that makes them kind of kind of tight on the head. They're they're really nice, but uh, but at the same time, I, they're not like I'm going to walk around town with these on because they probably weigh like five or ten pounds on your head. But they sound great. <laughs> so it was either that or the Sennheiser Momentums that I just I just got. And um, I've been subsequently teased for them because I, I tested them uh, when they were new, when Sennheiser introduced the Momentums and their fantastic headphones are some of the best headphones you can buy at their price range. They mm. started around $300. I think you can get them um, on Amazon in the States anyway <laughs> at, around, <laughs> at around $180. Um, but but they're, they're fantastic headphones and I, I just picked up a pair for myself because like the MoFi's, eventually I'm going to have to – I had to send them back because uh, you know it's not like we can just keep this stuff. Right. <laughs> Yes. So then uh, we just have to go around now. Paul, what are you wearing? <laughs> oh, I've got the uh, – I have the studio monitoring uh, classics, the Sony MDR uh, mm. 7506s. And actually I just got them a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh-huh. So before that I was using uh, a really old pair of Koss uh, headphones – that uh, probably cost me like $30 at a drugstore. Um, <laughs> and they were actually surprisingly comfortable, but uh, did not have a particularly accurate sound profile at all. And uh, and then I also have uh, a bunch of different flavors of uh, Sennheiser, kind of their uh, lower end, but fully covering the ear style uh, Sennheisers. And I have them mostly for when I have people who are uh, in studio and uh, and they need to also be able to hear and monitor uh, what they're saying. So they're just kind of my spares for guests. Yeah, I have a pair of uh, probably similar. I think it's like Sennheiser HD 202 or something. They were like 30 yep. bucks. Yep. Yeah, so I grabbed a pair of those for... When I had guests in studio, but I'm wearing a pair of old uh, Audio Technias uh, that um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I I managed to grab from the university when I worked there. <laughs> oh, nice! So, so it's uni- something out of the equipment room, eh? <laughs> no, no. This these were given to me, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> this, this, the reason they were given to me was, uh, in the university, they. Uh, built this awesome new hall um, at Grand Valley State University, um, Lake Superior Hall. And in that hall, they put a Mac lab. So all of us video and audio people were like flocking to that lab and no one knew about it except us. And and so since there was audio in there, they, somebody like one of the audio professors or someone said, hey, 
all those stations need headphones. You know, it's a lab for crying out loud. <laughs> and so they bought headphones. And then the guy who ran the lab, Matt, was like, this is a really bad idea. And they're like, nope, we got to have headphones. He's like, well, people are going to steal them. And the other thing is a health issue because if someone with lice wears some of those headphones, now yeah. everyone has oh, lice. Boy. Yep. <laughs> and so the headphones lasted for like a week and then um, they disappeared. And one day I was like talking to Matt in his office and I was like, oh, man, that was like a uh, a near tragedy, right? You're going to give like the entire campus lice. And he's like, tell me about it. And I said, that's crazy. And he's like, yeah, actually, I don't know what to do with these here. Take three pair. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he gave me three pair and I ended up giving like one to my roommate and uh, I don't know where the other pair went. And that, the funny thing was, is I, I had them for a while and I was like using them and I was like, you know, that whole thing was kind of sketchy. So then I went to like B&H photo and bought like some new pads for them. <laughs> <laughs> Smart move. Yes. <laughs> oh, those are good. Those are good headphones though. I like the, uh, I like the use of the 202s. I like those. Yeah. And I just recently I've, while I work, I've started to listen to, um, Boing Boing's, uh, gadget podcast mm-hmm. with, uh, Zenny and Mark and, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone had suggested because my in-ear headphones had died. And I like wearing those when I walk just because I want to sort of be alert to being hit by a car or something. (laughs) (laughs) And so I ended up buying some Marley's and I really like them like a lot. I'm so glad that I heard that suggestion because the Marley's like they're kind of. I don't know. They're kind of cool. They sound decent enough, but they're kind of cool because they're like wood and. Um, but I really love the fabric cord because it's not like one of those cords that get all like crazy twisted and do weird things. And so it it manages to stay pretty straight. The downside is that, um, it's very dry here. And so I managed to pick up a lot of static electricity. Oh yeah. (laughs) And and I think that fabric cord and I are like, uh, generating electricity when I'm walking. (laughs) So I'll be listening to like a podcast, like, um, like Alan on the supercharged podcast or something. And I'm hearing like a lot of, I'm like, boy, someone's mic is, Oh, that's me. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> I am not properly grounded. Uh, yes. the, the Sony's though, the Sony's are good too. I mean, I, I used to do, uh, I used, when I was in college, I did college radio, like, like any good, any good <laughs> AV person ever. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, we had we had we had those uh, those headphones in in the studio as well, and they're fantastic. I mean, and and they're also, I mean, they're really affordable if I remember correctly, about a hundred dollars. Yep. For amazing sounding headphones, especially if you like over over the ear uh, over the ear models, just for music or for voice or for whatever you want to listen to. Yep. Yep. And they have they have a really flat response in terms of um, being able to mix. You get a mm-hmm. good frequency response out of them. And they're like super repairable. Like you open them up yeah. and there's no manual, but there's this like schematic with all of the parts on it. And it's like, here's what you need to order and here's where it goes if you ever mm-hmm. need to repair it. So it's amazing. Oh, that <laughs> is cool. So you were a college DJ. What was your DJ name? Uh, <laughs> it, I, I actually, I've, I've forever gone by Phoenix. Uh, and uh, I've always been Phoenix. Uh, when I was, a, when I was a DJ on, on the radio was Phoenix. And although the show was called, um, 
did I call my show? Oh, my show is called Plastic Bohemia because I just thought it was a really funny play on words. And, <laughs> and I went by Phoenix uh, when I was the vice president of our oh, geez, electronic, mu- electronic Dance Music Club, which was essentially a really bad excuse for a whole bunch of us to get together. And at the time, I mean, this was, you know, wow, the late 90s and uh, early 2000s when I was in college. And, you know, electronic music wasn't a thing yet. I mean, obviously it is now, but I mean, we were just a, we were just a bunch of kids with, you know, records and turntables. And we said, you know, hey, look at what I can do. And it would sound like boots in a dryer, but we'd all be really jazzed about it anyway. <laughs> And then we, you know, we do little, little events for, for ourselves on campus. And every now and again, we'd try and get people to come and they wouldn't. And then we'd do a barbecue and have free food. And then suddenly everybody would show up because <laughs> that was how college was. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I went by forever. And that's kind of the inspiration for, you know, all my handles today, like Halo Phoenix on Twitter. And you know, I'd still go by Phoenix. I was Phoenix at Lifehacker long before they ever hired me to write there. And <laughs> and then when they hired me, they were, when uh, Adam Pash, our former uh, editor in chief hired me, he was like, you know, you should probably change that to your actual real name. And I was, I, I had this long comment history under my old name and I said, do I have to? And he said, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do for one. And two, I don't really think you, it's going to be hard to tell people, hey, I write for Lifehacker when all of your articles are bylined by like a mythical bird. <laughs> <laughs> kind of kind of difficult to build a personal brand as it were. <laughs> but yeah, it was I miss my I miss my college teaching days, uh, mostly because I just. Working at a radio station, you have access to so much music and so much new music that it's just uh, – and you get – obviously, you also have access to a whole bunch of really, really cool technology. I mean we used yeah. old hand-me-down stuff from local radio stations, but it was still really cool working with like you know, big boards and, and all of the um, – like obviously, we had turntables and things in the record libraries and we were fully invested in mini discs at the time. I wonder how that's going for those guys now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it was still really cool learning about all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever do a stint like that, Paul? Uh, well, uh, not in college radio, but I did work in uh, public access television for about uh, five years. Um, on and off, actually, uh, when I went back to college uh, to get my film and video degree, I was uh, still working for a, a public access TV station. And like you said, we also were using a lot of hand-me-down equipment. <laughs> Tons of uh, super VHS, um, lots of like AB rolling uh, recording controller decks and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, surprisingly, we also used mini discs for our um, for all of our royalty free music. We would record it onto mini discs, and then we would have those discs shuttling in and out of our production truck and back into the live studio. So, which they were remarkably resilient. Because they had that nice case on them, so you wouldn't, you, right. were, you were never actually scratching the disc. Um, so I think that's why I think that's why our station manager liked them. But hmm. yeah, <laughs> I, I when I went back to college as the non-traditional student, and I started in community <laughs> college, uh, the uh, one of my uh, professors there, who was probably my age, was like. Uh, he he wanted to start a, a a station, so he did, and he made two classes, and so he's like, "You got to take it," and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I took the class, and we we started like uh, 
we got to work with new technology, but we we're still a community college. So we just used, uh, I think he was using like a real player streaming server and we had like an internet radio station. <laughs> yup. Oh, real player streaming server. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was probably like, um, I want to say like five or six, maybe even longer. Yeah. Maybe six years later, I, I ran into him and was talking to him because I think I had gone to the school to get some paperwork or something or visit people. And he, uh, he ran into me and he's like, Oh my gosh. And then, um, he's like, you gotta come say hi to my class. And I was like, why, why do I have to like, <laughs> so he like dragged me into his class and I thought, Oh, he just wanted to keep talking. And then he's like, guys, uh, tell me who this is. And they were like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't think any of these people know me. And then someone was like, oh, my God. And I was like, you know who I am? And she was like, you're the naked DJ. Because <laughs> we were digital. So he used to just like that would be an assignment, like record a set and then like we'll broadcast it whenever. And so they were still broadcasting my like set like after a few years because <laughs> wow. they just needed to run time, right? Like they needed something to run. And their his big thing was doing local music by local bands. So those bands were still relevant. And so <laughs> they were just like, you're the naked DJ. And I was like, I, I guess I am. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I was so clever at the time, even as a, a non-traditional student, I would just be like, hey, Hey, here's a new song coming up for you guys. I don't really want to talk anymore because I'm really cold in the studio. <laughs> like, <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> uh, those are the days. <laughs> yes, you're right. Uh, and now look at me. I'm doing a podcast and not wearing pants. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, that about does it for this episode of Montreal Sauce. Uh, we had a great time talking to Alan Henry. Uh, he writes for this little site on the internet called Life Hacker. Perhaps uh, you've heard of it. Uh, and you could find him on Twitter at Halo Phoenix. Uh, I am Paul D. Uh, you can find me uh, on the Twitter at that handle. And uh, you can also find my blog uh, at padizio.com, P-A-D-I-Z-I-O. And, of course, uh, our host, as always, Chris, uh, who you can find online at sickdays, S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S. Um, also, there's lots of fun links for you in the show notes at montrealsauce.com. And if you like, uh, you could head to iTunes and leave us a review. That would be fantastic. Otherwise, just uh, stay subscribed because next week we'll have yet another hour with uh, the wonderful Alan Henry to talk even more about gadgets, cooking cooking gadgets maybe not so much but uh lots of more fun stuff to talk about with alan next week on montreal sauce